Hello, this is Morna. Welcome to this edition of the Didcot, Abingdon and Wantage talking newspaper, Dawn, recorded on Wednesday the 28th of February 2024. You'll hear news, from the, news items from the Herald series and other local papers. Our readers this week are Paul, Irene, Maggie and hopefully Sandra, and I am the editor and our recording and copying technicians are Brian, Mary P and another Margaret, uh, all working in the office. So that we start with the week, we have a variety of news items covering floods to farming. And we start our news items this week with a feature on the rain. Hello, this is Paul. Return of rains prompts alerts for households. Residents in Abingdon and surrounding areas have been facing flooding fears once again as water levels have risen following heavy rainfall. The ground started to dry out following the January floods, but the recent wet weather has prompted the Thames to break its banks for the second month running. Fields along the river visible from Abingdon Bridge have been deluged and flood water has been seen on roads around Cullum. The Environment Agency issued a flood warning for Abingdon at 8.40am on Monday, which said, Property flooding is expected. River levels are high, but began falling yesterday on the River Thames following recent rainfall and high river levels upstream. Flooding of property, roads and low-lying land is expected to continue today. Areas most at risk are properties on Bridge Street, East St. Helens Street and St. Helens Wharf. Today and tomorrow are forecast to be mainly dry with a few light rain showers tomorrow afternoon. River levels are expected to slowly fall over the coming days. However, they will remain high over the next week. Move possessions and valuables off the ground or to safety. Do not drive through flood water. Sash G said, as well as the fields along the side the Thames, the Splash Park, Rye Farm Field and the field next to the Rye Farm Car Park were also flooded. Hello, this is Irene. A stressed family fears home flooding every time it rains. A family has been having sleepless nights in fear that every time it rains their home will be flooded. White Cross near Abingdon suffered bad flooding earlier this year when Storm Henk battered the county and the area has been hit as, as more rain continues to cause problems. Stuart Bates and his family have lived in a small hamlet for 20 years and say apart from the flash flooding in July 2007, they have never had issues. Across Oxfordshire, there remain six flood warnings in place and 42 flood alerts have been issued with more rain forecast this afternoon. Mr Bates said, this is a hugely stressful time for my family. Every time it rains, we are worried that we will be flooded again. We've had to box everything up and ensure that the minimal amount of belongings are on the ground floor. We are not sleeping properly and we are worried that we may flood overnight. We are also worried every time we leave the house unattended. We believe the lack of repairs and maintenance of the watercourses is responsible for the current situation. Wootton Parish Council Chairman, Chairwoman has called for more support for the area after flood, suffering from floods in the past week and from Storm Henk. Dr Quahaber said, White Cross severely flooded when we had the torrential rain in January. 
that was really bad with houses being uninhabitable. There was a lot of damage. We raised this with the Oxfordshire County Council at our parish meeting and residents came to express their dismay. We don't have any support at all and when the rain came down over the weekend, the flooding happened again. Several houses were flooded inside and nothing has happened between the two episodes. She claimed the main source of the flooding was from blocked drains and unkept gullies from Fox Lane near Balls Hill. A spokesman for Oxford County Council said the majority of Fox Lane gullies were inspected and cleaned in October 2022, with the others done in November 2019. The parish council chairwoman added, "If it happens again, people don't have people don't have sandbags, so they have to buy their own. We don't have flood signs. We have to have signs. At least we could, if we had signs, we could at least hopefully stop the cars from driving through it. We need the drains to be cleared and people to come in and help pump out water and allow the water to go down the road and to help residents out of their houses and find places for shelter." The council said it would deploy sandbags to properties in immediate risks. Highways teams will provide road close signs when roads become impassable, a council spokesman said. The authority is taking a risk-based approach to drain clearance, targeting the most at risk. A council spokesman said we are carrying out a flood investigation report for the area of White Cross following the flooding that occurred during Storm Henk in January. The council's lead local flood authority team is working with the Vale of Whitehorse District Council to produce a report. The purpose is to establish which risk management authorities have relevant flood risk management functions, what the cause of the flood event was, and produce recommendations to alleviate further flooding. Hello, this is Maggie. Households cut off from amenities on new estate. Residents of a new housing estate and councillors in Didcot are speaking out against developers with accusations of being cut off from local amenities due to a lack of footpaths. People accessing and leaving the Dida Gardens estate on foot are forced to cross muddy ground and or walk in parallel with heavy traffic on the A4130 through Didcot to access schools, shops and bus services. Residents first moved into properties on the estate in July 2020, which was built by David Wilson Holmes, and said no footpaths have ever been installed They have now sourced wooden boards to lay on the ground in an attempt to ease pedestrian access. The leader of the estate's resident association, Craig Rouse, described the situation as a nightmare and said those affected were really struggling. Mr Rouse said, I regularly use those routes myself. And even as an able-bodied person, it's so challenging to move around without slipping. Other residents who are disabled or who have pushchairs and young children really struggle. It's a nightmare, especially in the wintertime. Since residents moved in, 
We've only had three small gaps made in enclosing fencing for us to get through. Didcot West County and District Councillor Ian Snowden called out South Oxfordshire District Council and accused developers of failing to fulfil their obligations. Mr Snowden said, It's beyond ludicrous, really, and that's no exaggeration. This permission was given under Taylor Wimpey's traffic plan, which said they didn't need to provide a bus route nor a school, as these were all accessible nearby with footpaths. Footpaths, however, have not been delivered, and there has been no enforcement action from the council. What frustrates me is seemingly weak leadership from this administration. Large developers apparently get a free pass as and when they feel. Yet, if residents don't build to exact specifications, the council comes down on us like a ton of bricks. A spokesperson for David Wilson Homes Southern said Dida Gardens development was completed in line with its approved planning permission. Developer Taylor Wimpy, who owns the majority of the land the estate is built on, said the original planning consent did not include any footpath connection. A Taylor Wimpy spokesperson said, We would like to reassure residents that we are actively investigating possible solutions to connect Dida Gardens to Great Western Park. We are currently in constructive discussions with David Wilson Holmes to explore the feasibility of installing a gravel path and in the process of transferring the open space land to South Oxfordshire District Council. A spokesperson for the council said it was doing everything to work with developers to find a resolution, but confirmed Developers are responsible for providing footpath connections. They added, Since the two housing developments came at different times, the southern area in between wasn't included in Taylor Wimpy's plan and is beyond the other developers' site boundary. On the western and eastern edge of the development, Taylor Wimpy's consent requires them to provide gravel paths. Hello, this is Mauna again, reading this time. Science Minister launches a 40 million research hub build. The UK Science Minister took part in a ceremony to mark the start of a 40 million research and development building scheme in Abingdon. Andrew Griffith was present as the ceremony celebrated the Nebula Scheme at Milton Park. This 80,000 square foot development signifies the UK's ambition to be a scientific and tech superpower by 2030. The finished project, aiming to combine flexible research and development areas with offices, will offer expansion space for science, technology and advanced engineering companies. Members of the Milton Park team, along with representatives from construction firm Barnwood Limited and Park Occupiers, were also in attendance. The event saw the burial of a science superpower themed time capsule filled with laboratory and tech equipment. Mr Griffiths said, Breaking ground at Milton Park's nebula development today is a tangible step in the future of scientific and technological advancement in the UK. This state-of-the-art facility 
will facilitate those achieving breakthroughs from engineering to life sciences, support skilled jobs here in Oxfordshire, and enhance the UK's position as a science superpower. Construction of the scheme's seven buildings, ranging from 6,000 to 13,000 square feet, will see the substructure, structural frame and envelope delivered before the internal fit-out and finishing touches. Construction is expected to be completed in the winter this year. Nebula's occupants will enjoy an infrastructural boost thanks to a £7 million investment aimed at enhancing the park's energy capacity. The buildings will feature sustainable glue-laminated timber, known as glulam, as a replacement for steel. This reduces the level of embodied carbon. The exposed glulam beams will be visible inside, with vaulted ceilings providing more space for larger equipment, aiding in the growth of industri industries like the UK's space sector. Nebula is set to meet Bream ex Excellence Sustainability Standards and will target an A-Rating Energy Performance Certificate, EPC, the top band for building energy efficiency. Plans for Nebula were given a swift approval via the Parks Local Development Order, a 10D LDA that simplifies and speeds up the planning process. Questions still unanswered eight years after collapse. Eight years ago this month, four men died in the partial collapse of Dickert Power Station. Demolition workers Michael Collings, Ken Cresswell, Christopher Huxtable and John Shaw were killed on February the 23rd, 2016. It took more than six months for their bodies to be recovered, prompting criticism from their families at the time. Today, an investigation by Thames Valley Police and the Health and Safety Executive is no further on. Thames Valley Police said the investigation team, which was put in place after the collapse, continues to probe offences of corporate manslaughter, gross negligence, manslaughter and health and safety offences. Steve Wright was watch manager of the Dickert fire crew who first responded after the boiler house collapsed at the disused coal-fired power plant, and it was being prepared for demolition. He tweeted, Eight years since attending this incident on the first fire appliance, I know it still affects the watch. He said, by coincidence, the watch photo was taken on that morning with part of the power station in the background. Ben Snuggs, Deputy Chief Constable of Thames Valley Police, said, as always, our thoughts remain with the families of Michael Collings, Ken Cresswell, Christopher Huxtable and John Shaw following the loss of their loved ones. Thames Valley Police, together with the Health and Safety Executive, remains totally committed to rigorously investigating the collapse, and I am very conscious of the time it's taking to investigate those circumstances. We maintain regular contact with the families, and continue to provide updates and support through our dedicated family liaison officers and investigation team. This investigation is significant and complex with vast amounts of witness, digital and physical evidence, and we continue to make good progress with further suspect and key witness interviews. We are also in close liaison with the Crown Prosecution Service. 
and continued to provide appropriate updates to key stakeholders and interested parties. He added, It is our responsibility and duty to investigate thoroughly, following all reasonable lines of inquiry, and we will do everything we can to provide answers to the families. Duncan Rudall, chief executive of the National Federation of Demolition Contractors, said, Eight years have passed, and there have been little resolution for the families of those who sadly lost their lives because of the Dickert power station collapse. All of us expected that the subsequent investigations would provide much-needed answers. Unfortunately, closure has yet to be forthcoming. But in any incident of this nature, we must remain patient and trust the process to ensure investigations are carried out properly and thoroughly. Only then can we ensure the outcome is the correct one and a similar tragedy is avoided in the future. On the eve of the sixth anniversary of the power station tragedy, Gail Cresswell, widow of Ken, questioned why no one has been brought to task. She said, The demolition industry needs answers to what went on at Dickert so that no other families are in this position again. The Vale approves 2024-2025 budget for local services. Despite major challenges, the Vale of Whitehorse District Council has approved the 24-25 budget, guaranteeing quality local services. Against the backdrop of below inflation funding, increases and cost of living pressures, the Council has managed to protect key public services. Council tax has been set at £156.69 pence for a band D property for the year 24 and 25. This means that residents will continue to pay one of the country's lowest rates for services offered by a Shah district and considerably less than Oxford residents have to pay. 7% of the total council tax paid by the Vale households fund the district council services. It helps to finance amenities like waste and recycling collections, community support, leisure services, parks and play areas, housing services, planning services, environmental health and licensing. Andy Crawford, Cabinet Member for Finance, said this ensures we can now build on our positive work in investing in local facilities, supporting local climate projects, improving the energy efficiency of our own buildings and continue to provide support for our communities and the rural economy. Council policy on dark skies given charities backing. A proposed policy on dark skies included in South Oxfordshire and Vale of Whitehorse District Council's <coughs> joint local plan has been welcomed by an environmental charity. Campaign to Protect Rural England Oxfordshire Director Helen Marshall said, Councils tend to have policies on managing light pollution, but that's a reactive approach. We wanted to see something proactive that recognises the crucial importance of dark skies and helps to maintain and improve those areas. We're really delighted to see our local councils have listened and are proposing this new policy. We hope the public will support it by responding to the consultation. 
the proposed policy, currently under consultation, aims to limit light pollution, enhancing wildlife habitats and benefiting the public. The charity said, Many plants, wildlife and insects rely on darkness to find food, to breed and to navigate, as well as for protection. The policy CE11, Light Pollution and Dark Skies, says that, where possible, development proposals are encouraged to support the restoration and improvement of areas, to enhance and to extend dark skies, and or upgrade existing sources of light pollution on and or in the vicinity of the development to reduce light pollution in the area. The charity is also pushing for the joint local plan to include a stronger policy on renewable energy. Free Breakfast and Homework Club for Pupils A breakfast and homework club is returning to a wantage cafe for key stage two children of families typically unable to access extracurricular activities. The Small Steps project, run at Down to Earth Community Cafe in Wantage, allows youngsters access to a range of activities at no charge, often with an environmental focus. The returning project, which first started at, at the cafe last April, will run on Saturday mornings for five consecutive weeks from Saturday, April the 27th. It's open to students at the following schools, Stockham Primary, Wantage C of E, Millbrook Primary, Charlton Primary, St Nicholas C of E School and Wantage Primary Academy. The Small Steps programme is run with the help of Vale of the White Horse District Council Climate Action Fund, which offers grants from £250 to £5,000 from a £100,000 funding pot to separate projects designed to help tackle climate change. Down to Earth Cafe owner Kate Farrington said, It's great to have secured funding from the District Council, allowing us to run the project again. We always wanted to before the end of the current school year. It's really a good time of year to bring back this, as we can tailor our activities to the springtime. Children will be planting, composting, creating bug hotels, cooking, working with food waste and participating in a range of environmental activities. The project will be run in conjunction with Sustainable Wantage and Replenish Oxfordshire. Events firm hit by Council's cutback on available dates. A production company that brings numerous shows to the Wantage and Grove area every year has had to relinquish some, has had to relinquish use of its main venue due to the council imposing a new event limit. JT Stage Productions has been offered a maximum of seven dates to host events at Old Mill Hall in Grove by Grove Parish Council, but its director George Jackson has argued this makes it unviable to continue running its live and local event series. The most recent live and local event took place at the hall on Saturday evening, where a sellout crowd enjoyed a performance from Scar Revival band Badness. Mr Jackson said he was initially told seven dates were available when he approached the council 
asking to host up to 16 for 2024. This year's events included 10 tribute band evenings, four local band events and beer and music festivals. He added, questioning this, we were then informed that additional dates were available but it was at the discretion of the parish clerk whether we are allowed these dates. Points raised by parish council explaining a reduction in the number of dates offered included availability of the venue for other potential bookings, suitability of the function for the venue, long-term damage and complaints from local residents. Mr. Mr. Jackson has since rebutted every point advanced at attempting to justify the reduction with a counter-argument and supporting evidence. Parish clerk Graham Mundy said, Old Mill Hall is a parish council-owned and is a a community venue. I argued that as as such it is used for meetings, sports clubs, parish council offices, jumble sales and wedding receptions. And it is also an accredited kennel club venue. It is not a dedicated music venue, nightclub and should not be considered as such. Seven was the number of available dates at the time, plus dates I wanted to hold over for other bookings to be used by local community and charity groups. At the meeting, the council agreed with me that as the, as the parish clerk, I was responsible for the management of the hall, including bookings. Whilst the council has received some complaints from residents, I have attended several of the live and local events. They're always very well managed by George Jackson and his team, and they are usually trouble-free. Mr Jackson confirmed Saturday's event would be the last for the foreseeable future, and said, We are currently in negotiations with other local venue, so we are hopeful we can continue to bring lots more great live music to the residents of Wantage and Grove. Stay tuned for our next adventures. Live and Local was formed in 2021 to bring a diverse programme of live music and events to the local community at Old Mill Hall. JT Stage Productions has also supported charity events at the Old Mill Hall and events such as the Wantage Carnival, Grove and Wantage Extravaganza, Childry Fest and the Grove Car Show. Five companies are named for not paying the minimum wage. Five Oxfordshire businesses have been named by the government for failing to pay the minimum wage. The five were among 524 employers on the government's list of businesses that breached minimum wage law published last week. Cotswolds Inns and Hotels, Hounslow, which is now under new ownership, failed to pay £30,386 to 262 workers. Open Cosmos Limited, Harwell, failed to pay £11,307 to seven workers. Henrietta Anderson and Eureka Molligard, Chipping Norton, failed to pay £7,337 to one worker. Glean Team, Valentin Oxford Limited, Kidlington, failed to pay £1,975 to one worker. Matthew Cluley, Oxford, failed to to pay £2,121 to two workers. Employers named on the list also included Major 
high street brands. Around 172,000 workers were left out of pocket. The Department of Business and Trade said companies on the list have now paid what they owe staff and have been hit with financial penalties up to 200% of the amount underpaid. The investigations were carried out by His Majesty's Revenue and Customs between 2015 and 2023. The minimum wage varies accordingly to age of the employee and is updated every April. The Minister for Enterprise, Kevin Hollinrake, said employees deserve to get paid properly for the hard work they put in. Whilst not all minimum wage underpayments are intentional, the government has been clear that anyone entitled to be paid the minimum wage should receive it and that enforcement action will be taken against employers who do not pay their staff correctly. All the businesses were contracted, contacted, Matthew Cluey said. We took this course of action to provide training and opportunities that we could afford to for two young people we believed in, who were not eligible for the government-backed apprenticeships. This related to two trainee hairdressers, that did not qualify to be apprenticed under the government scheme, but were taken on by us part-time and trained by us for free in their spare time, with no obligation on their part to work for us when qualified. One is still with us, and the other went to work for a competing salon, as we did not have a position for him. The government representative refused to acknowledge them as part of the part-time workers and fined us. Many saloons now don't employ apprentices. As the cost of benefit risk is too high for most, the cost of training an apprentice over two-year training period is upwards of 50k, with up to 20k being their wages. Restaurant told improvements must be made. A restaurant in Didcot has been handed a one out of five Food hygiene rating, which means inspectors believe major improvement is necessary. Django Smokehouse in Broadway received the low grade following an inspection on January 17th this year. The assessment rated management of food safety as major improvement necessary, while hygienic food handling was stated as improvement necessary. Cleanliness and condition of facilities was regarded as generally satisfactory by the inspectors from the Food Standards Agency. Despite the low food hygiene rating, the bar and restaurant has proved popular with customers since opening in March 2023-22. It has a listing of 4.7 out of 5 rating from more than 320 Google reviews and it has an average 4.5 out of 5 rating on the customer review website TripAdvisor. Food hygiene inspections and grading in Dicot are carried out by the Food Standards Agency in conjunction with South Oxfordshire District Council. In the latest inspection results, the Mole Inn at Toot Balden received a 4 out of 5 rating after an inspection on January the 11th. The Abingdon Arms in Beckley 
also received a four-star rating from an inspection the same day, and Purple Mango, an Indian restaurant in Banbury, was given a three out of five food hygiene rating. Call to demolish a car park over structural concerns. A multi-storey car park in Abingdon Town Centre should be demolished, according to a leading councillor. The upper levels of the car park in the Charter are currently out of use because of structural concerns, according to the Vale Council. Neil Fawcett, County Councillor for Abingdon South, who also represents Abingdon on the Vale of the White Horse District Council and the Town Council, said it was now time for the car park in the Charter to be demolished. The Council's website says Level 3 and upwards are closed. We've carried out work on the lower levels to ensure they are safe. However, further assessment work is, re is required to review the upper levels. While the lower levels remain open, space is very limited, so we're encouraging motorists to use the other car parks in Abingdon, where there is good capacity. Mr Fawcett said the car park should be demolished as part of the plans to redevelop the town centre, which include the charter. The CAF document looks at two slightly different sets of options for the charter, but both would involve the demolition of buildings including the multi-storey car park. One option suggests demolishing the, char the charter plus units in Berry Street North and clearing the site for a five-storey development. New library facilities would be provided on the site, while health and social care facilities would be relocated. A budget hotel could also feature in the proposals. In a second option, health care facilities would be included on site. Now, the library currently in the Charter is one of the most popular in the county. A previous plan to move it was abandoned. Mr Fawcett then added, there could be a mixture of housing, retail and improved health and library services. The Charter is long overdue for a revamp. The challenge will be the economic situation and how we find businesses to invest. But this is a growing town with high employment. The introduction to the CAF report, which also considers other areas of the town centre which could be improved, says... Over recent years, Central Abingdon has declined somewhat in relation to its retail offer, popularity and in respect of part of the public realm and ability to move around. Mr Fawcett said the Vale Council officers were now considering options for redevelopment of the whole town centre and a report would be discussed by the Vale Cabinet later this year. Young performers enjoy Disney Showtime experience. Young performers in Abingdon recently enjoyed a trip to Disneyland Paris, learning the ropes of Disney performance over three days. The stagecoach performing arts students had the opportunity to take part in a performance with a Disney cast of Beauty and the Beast and participated in mock auditions. They also went to the Disney recording studios to record vocals for their performance. Tara Melia Hunt, principal of Stagecoach Abingdon, said, It was an absolute joy to not only see my students blossom and improve massively under the expert coaching of the Disney professionals, but I had the pleasure of spending quality time with this amazing group of students. Each student went on their own personal journey and gained their own unique set of skills to take away from the event. 
Every single one of them was buzzing after each workshop, and they will certainly treasure these wonderful memories. Over the last 35 years, Stagecoach Performing Arts has supported more than 1 million students worldwide. It has a network of more than 3,000 extracurricular performing arts schools worldwide. Many pupils have ventured into the performing arts, from films to local theatre productions. Stagecoach offers classes for ages 4 to 6 and 6 to 18. A Riverside pub is handed a low food hygiene rating mark. A Riverside pub in Oxfordshire has been handed a low food hygiene rating. The Nags Head on the bridge in Abingdon was visited by the Vale of Whitehorse District Council Environmental Health Team on Thursday, January the 18th. The pub was given a 2 out of 5 rating after the assessment meaning improvement is deemed to be necessary. The inspectors judge the restaurant with regard to hygienic food handling, cleanliness and the condition of facilities and management of food safety. The cleanliness and condition of facilities and buildings were the contributing factors to the low rating. The Council's environmental health team is in charge of inspecting and rating hospitality venues on a zero to five scale, and the zero being the lowest score and five the highest. Campus growth praised as remarkable achievement. Science Minister Andrew Griffith has commended an Oxfordshire science campus for its remarkable achievement of introducing 25 new businesses, creating more than 300 jobs. Mr Griffith toured Harwell Science and Innovation Campus as its annual report was released last week. He visited RAL Space, operated by the Science and Technology Facilities Council, STFC. Harwell Campus now houses 240 organisations and employs 7,000 staff members. The campus has seen new businesses arrive in its energy, health and space sectors in the last year. Mr Griffith said, Harwell Campus's remarkable achievement in welcoming 25 new businesses is a testament to the thriving ecosystem we have cultivated. He added, this growth not only positions us as a key player in global research and development, but also marks a significant stride towards our vision of a robust and innovative UK space sector. The companies that recently joined Harwell operate in a range of fields, including pharmaceuticals, space, agriculture and energy. Neil Buchanan, co-founder and CEO of 2023 edition Lodestar Space, said, Having a presence at Howell Campus has been a game-changer for us. Being on-site has given us access to the leading deep tech ecosystem in the UK, where customer visits are a short walk down the road and world-leading testing facilities are at your disposal. Rugby legends cycle for motor neurone disease cause. Wallingford Rugby Club will host a cycle challenge which is raising funds for motor neurone disease, MND. 
The club will host a leg of, of Doddy's Grand Force S7AM Cycle Challenge, cycling from Edinburgh to Rome via all Six Nations rugby grounds. The team includes Oxfordshire man Rob Drury Dryden, alongside former rugby players Roger Baird, Hugh Davis and Paul Volley. On arrival at Wallingford about 12.30pm on March the 2nd, following a visit to Grove Rugby Football Club, the team will continue on to Bracknell Rugby Football Club, then Twickenham, before embarking on a ferry at Newhaven. Ten cyclists from Wallingford Rugby Football Club will join the team on the leg to Bracknell. On that day alone, they aim to cover 390 kilometres of the entire 2,990 kilometres journey. The club plans to provide hot food and physiotherapy for the riders, coinciding with their vice president's lunch. Each team member's number commemorates rugby legend Doddy Weir, Paul the Judge, Rendell, Rob Barrow and Ed Slater, all of whom were diagnosed with motor neurone disease. Doddy Weir highlighted the issue, saying, Motor neurone disease is not incurable, it's just underfunded. The club is inviting locals to join in cheering the team and stay to watch the Wallingford Rugby Football Club firsts compete against Rams thirds. The club raised £1,675 for the My Name's Doddy Foundation in January and said they hope to be a memorable part of the trip. And this with the notice board and then it will be followed by some more news items. Now, the following people have sadly passed away, and of course, our thoughts and prayers are very much with their families and friends. Jeanette Cudden on the 13th of February, Cynthia Hanland on the 12th of February, aged 79, Peter Harris on the 11th of February, aged 93, Sydney Mole on the 7th of February, aged 94, Edith Irvington on the 15th of February, aged 96 and Noel Vaughan on the 10th of February, aged 85. As I said, our thoughts are very much with their families and friends. Now that's the end of the notice board, so we'll continue with an article from the Herald series, Heralding the Past. Wanted historian Trevor Hancock looks at people, places and events from history. With this issue, focusing on a snapshot of photographers who mixed portraits with hairdressing. The most well-known wantage photographer in the past was Tom Reevely, 1875 to 1941, whom I have written about before, and there is a biography on Vale and, and Downland Museum's website. However, he was not the only photographer, or indeed the first, to be set up in wantage. There was one business which was in the town for at least 100 years, albeit under different ownerships. If one looks at the 1861 census, living in the marketplace was Edwin Hartwell, Catherine, his wife, daughter Emily, and apprentice Ezekiel C., whose surname is mistranscribed as Hartwell, and more on him later. Edwin is described as a hairdresser. However, the 1863 Berkshire Directory gives his profession as photographer. The type of photograph Edwin took were carte de visites, the carte de visites, CDVs, painted in France in 1854, were images, usually portraits, of about 2.25 inches wide by 3.5 inches tall, 
and that's 5.71 centimetres by 8.9 centimetres, which were taken in multiples of eight, cut up and pasted on card. Edwin Hartwell was from Abingdon, born there in 1830, the son of James and Susanna Hartwell. Edwin married Catherine Thatcher in Abingdon in 1856 and moved to Wantage shortly afterwards, where the couple had three daughters, one of whom died in infancy. Edwin died at age 38 in 1868, followed by his wife the following year, and the children moved to Abingdon to be raised by their grandfather, James. Edwin was succeeded in the hairdressing photography business by apprentice Ezekiel Cole Clayton, known as John, who was originally from Wallingford. John Clayton is listed in a wantage directory of 1876 as being a photographer and hairdresser in Mill Street. He took a variety of CDVs of individuals and also views, including one from the top of Chain Hill and the primary school in Church Street. John Clayton died in 1876 and was succeeded in the business by apprentice James John Cox, who added taxidermy to its services. James John Cox was born in Wallingford in 1856, the son of Joseph Cox, a Tanner and Methodist preacher, and wife Emma. By 1881, he is married and a photographer and hairdresser living in Mill Street with his wife Mary and son James. One. Four more children were to follow. James Cox was in business between 1877 and 1884, producing mainly carte visites. By 1891, he had moved to London, living in Paddington. He died at his daughter's house in Westerham in Kent in 1941, aged 85. <clears throat> Mr Cox was succeeded in Wantage by his apprentice, Frederick Chamberlain. Born in Wantage in 1865, Frederick, in 1898, moved to the business back into the marketplace, to the side of the crown of Old England Inn. A choir boy at Wantage Parish Church, when the Reverend William Butler was vicar, Fred became a member of Wantage UDC and served in the Berkshire Yeomanry. He liked to visit the Comrades Club and died within a few months of his 100th birthday. His son Ernest, known as Joe, took over what became a tobacconist and hairdresser's business in 1926 with his wife Phyllis serving in the shop. Joe was educated at King Alfred's School, serving during the First World War in the Queen's Oxfordshire Hussars. He retired in 1970 and the Crown of Old England was bought on behalf of developers and the present buildings replaced it. David Johnston, MP for Wantage and Didcot, writes, working to give children the best start in life. As of this week, I will have been a Minister for Children, Families and Wellbeing for six months. And as readers will know, being appointed to the Department of Education is pretty much the ideal department for me, given my pre-politics career running organisations for disadvantaged children. And the six months have flown by, full of important reforms, programme launches and visits to children's settings all over the country. The biggest thing on my desk at the moment is the delivery of the government's latest childcare offer for working families, which, when complete, will provide 30 hours free childcare a week from when the child, children are nine months old until they start school. 
This involves doubling the amount the government spends on childcare and will save families up to £6,500 a year. The first 15 hours for two-year-olds become available from April the 1st and so lots of my ministerial time is currently being spent making sure this goes smoothly. That includes the big national recruitment campaign, Do Something Big, Work With Small Children, we launched last week to encourage most people to consider working with the youngest of children, as those first five years of our lives are so important to what happens to us later on. I have responsibility for reforming the special educational needs, called SEND, an alternative provision system with a plan that is backed by £2.6 billion. Not long after I was appointed, we launched nine change programme partnerships, which are testing the reforms we want to see to create a national SEND system for the first time. We have far too much regional variation and ensure children to get the right support in the right place at the right time wherever they live. While children who live in care rarely have the media's attention, this is another vital responsibility in my role. Here we are delivering our stable homes built on love strategy, which aims to transform the experience of children in care, but also prevent children going into care in the first place by keeping families together, but also increasing the support support given to those who foster, adopt, or are kinship carers, extended family members who take on children in moments of crisis. As well as additional money for foster carers, I was delighted to launch the first ever kinship care in December to begin putting kinship carers on the level playing field with adopters and foster carers, which includes piloting a financial allowance for them equivalent to that which foster carers get. There's been plenty else besides including seeing the government's family hubs now open in 75 areas of the country, all of it designed to give children the best start in life. Farmers react to Clarkson's Law planning rule proposal. Farmers and rural organisations in Oxfordshire have reacted to plans for a Clarkson-style relaxation of planning rules. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said he would allow farmers to open shops and other amenities without full planning permission in a speech to the National Farmers Union last week. The move is apparently inspired by former Top Gear star turned farmer Jeremy Clarkson's disputes with the West Oxfordshire District Council Planning Authority. These included the rejection of plans to open a restaurant at Didley Squat Farm, as well as a dismissal of separate proposals for a pickle court. Farmer Bill Homewood from Peachcroft Farm in South Oxfordshire, said, we've actually got a farm shop and we're very diversified, so the plans wouldn't affect us that much. But I'm happy if this helps other farmers. But the trader of turkeys and geese added, farmers are experiencing the devastating effect of livestock and machinery theft and fly-tipping. I believe the government should put more money into helping specialist rural crime teams to help an already overworked police force do their job. 
Chair of the Oxfordshire Campaign to Protect Rural England, CPRE, Richard Harding, said he would be slightly cautious about a relaxation of planning rules. We have to be a bit careful not to allow unbridled development across the countryside. There have been some quite bad examples, such as plans for a massive static caravan park beneath the White Horse in the Vale of the White Horse. To allow anything to go on, I think, would be very bad. Mr Harding added that the group certainly supported rural businesses and the ability for them to diversify their activities. Booking coordinator at the East Oxford Farmers Market, Elise Benjamin, had the double perspective of overseeing a farmers market while having previously been chair on the City Council Planning Committee in a previous life. She said, We can't concrete over everything. If farmers are allowed to build without needing full planning permission, will they build what is actually needed? I support a planning system that allows farmers to survive, to increase their produce if possible, whilst not encouraging too much overdevelopment. Ms Benjamin said that all those with stalls at the East Oxford market lived within a 30-mile distance. She suggested it was important that farmers could bring produce to lots of people rather than have lots of people driving out to the farm. Charities on the shortlist for the Brand the Bus Challenge. A public vote for Oxford Bus Company's Brand the Bus competition has closed and 10 causes have been nominated for the finale. A record number of votes were received to nominate a cause to win an advertising package worth £40,000, including branding emblazoned on one of the Oxford Bus Company's new electric buses. The finalists are Berkshire, Buckinghamshire and Oxfordshire Wildlife Trust, Sobel House Hospice Charity, Helen and Douglas House, Oxford Hospitals Charity, Rainbow Trust Children's Charity, Style Acre, SSNAP Yellow Submarine, Oxfordshire Youth and Free Young and Be Free Young Carers. The top ten causes now go before a judging panel to select the winner. Prizes will be awarded to the competitors who have, in the panel's opinion, fulfilled the brief to the highest standard. Luke Marion, managing director of Oxford Bus Company, said. It has been fantastic to see record-breaking public involvement with the brand The Bus this year, and we have received many top-quality entries. There is an added layer of excitement this year, as the winning entry will be placed on an electric bus for the first time as we accelerate towards an all-electric city fleet. We look forward to selecting the overall winner and working closely with the winners on the design. The winning organisation will be invited to work with the bus company to design a bus wrap featuring the brand colours, logo and messages of the charity. It will also receive a year's worth of advertising with the Greatest Hits Radio. Two runners-up entries will win advertising packages worth £2,000 and £1,000 respectively and the Oxford-based bereavement charity Seesaw was the winner last year. 
closed Riverside Cafe to open again under new ownership. A Riverside Cafe in Abingdon has closed but will soon reopen under new ownership. Annie's at the Boathouse off Abingdon Bridge are shut, but a statement on the cafe's website from Douglas and Henrietta Reeve suggests it will reopening soon. It says, The owners and staff at Annie's at the Boathouse are very sad to say that we have closed our doors. However, we are very excited for Abingdon that, very shortly, the doors will reopen under new management as the Abingdon Riverside Café. We hope that all our lovely customers will continue to give the new owners all the support they have shown us over the years. TripAdvisor reviews for Annie's at the Boathouse last year were not all complimentary. The cafe had a rating of 3.5 stars out of 5 on the review site, but some customers complained about the price and quality of the cooked breakfasts. One visitor in November wrote, Four of us called in for a Sunday cooked breakfast. Food bland, service slow. Very pricey, £14 for a full English plus a coffee. We'll not be calling in again. Another added in September, The setting by the river is great, but the food is very ordinary. Arrives in a cardboard box and is very overpriced. In addition, the service we had was both slow and surly. We will not be visiting again. The same month, another visitor was not impressed and wrote, Shockingly bad. Service was awful. We got there and stood at the counter whilst the teenage girls stood chatting to each other. Rude. Then the food arrived. The bacon and sausage were not cooked. The bacon was just fat with a tiny slither of meat on it. The toast was cold and stale. The menu said it came with mushrooms, but it just came with one small mushroom and one tomato cut in half. For £14.50, I'm absolutely appalled. The chef should be fired and sent home. But one diner, the same month, gave the cafe four out of five, adding, A perfect location on the Thames near the town bridge. Plenty of people watching whilst eating. Small canoes, boats, and the odd luxury boat cruising by. My jacket potato with almonds cheese was a good salad, was excellent. It's not yet known exactly when the former Annie's will reopen. Plans to pull down a derelict site to build a special school. Plans are being made to knock down a Victorian school site to build a much-needed special educational needs and disabilities school. The Department of Education, in partnership with the Gallery Trust, is looking to develop the former infant school in Canada Lane, Farringdon, which closed in 2012, into a state-of-the-art SEND school in the town. It is said the current site is no longer fit for purpose, as plans for a new site are in the early stages. A planning application is expected to be submitted later this year. Developers will hold an exhibition in the Corn Exchange in Gloucester Street in the town tomorrow from 1pm to 7pm. A letter sent to nearby homes shared with the Oxford Mail said there is an increasing need for a SEND school place across the county but the existing SEND schools are concentrated in or around Oxford resulting in many unsustainable journeys. 
it is important that new facilities are built across the county to better the growing need and current shortage. The existing vacant buildings are not suitable for a SEND school for many reasons, including their small size, split floor levels, poor condition and poor thermal performance. Following careful consideration, it's proposed to replace the buildings with an attractive purpose-built and fully accessible building. The new school will also incorporate the latest net-zero carbon renewable energy, an on-site car parking and drop-off area, a retained playing field and a more pleasant environment within which to learn. There will be opportunities for the facilities to be used by the community. A refreshed landscape with new planting and tree management will also bring about many environmental and biodiversity enhancements. The inspection report judged that there were widespread symptomatic failings in special educational needs and disabilities send services, including five areas for priority action and four areas for improvement. The fallout led to the collapse of the Council's ruling coalition after Labour councillors quit. The SEND partnership for the area then submitted an action plan to the Department for Education, which was officially approved by Ofsted on December the 12th. Last month, an allocation of 14.4 million of funding was approved for the new SEND school in Didcot. Subject to planning permission, construction work is scheduled to begin in 2025 with a, project, a projected opening date of 2026 to 27. Model train enthusiasts 50 landmark. Model railway enthusiasts in Abingdon are staging a special celebration at the weekend. <clears throat> Abingdon and District Model Railway Club, ADMRC, is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year and to mark the occasion, it's holding a two-day model railway show at the Abingdon campus of Abingdon and Whitney College on Saturday and Sunday. Organisers have already sold 500 tickets and are hoping 2,000 people will attend through the weekend. There will be 40 model railway displays, including several for children. Thomas the Tank Engine will be featured. Club spokesman Graham Haddingham said, It's a big event for the club because it's our 50th anniversary. We've got one or two VIP guests coming along, including Mark Hopwood, the Managing Director of Great Western Railway. We invited him and he said he would drop in. It would be great if we get some new members signing up. Tickets cost £12 on the day. There are no concessions, but under-18s get in free if they're accompanied by an adult. The show is from 10.30am to 5pm on Saturday and 10.30am to 4.30pm on Sunday. Firms Charity Event Support Extended an annual charity event which has raised £100,000 over the past eight years will receive continued support from a technical production partner company. The Oddballs Rally takes place every August at Abingdon Rugby Club and will continue to receive the support of JLL from Wallingford. The rally was founded by Vince Woolof 
As a one-off event in memory of his friend who died from cancer, it has raised funds for charities including the Teenage Cancer Trust, MIND, Young Lives Versus Cancer and Scottish Little Soldiers. Dan Tazzino, Operative Director at JLL, said, It is JLL's privilege and honour to continue to support Oddball's Rally and its admirable mission to raise funds for charity. We believe in using our technical expertise to make a positive impact in our community, and the Oddball's Rally provides a fantastic platform to do just that. We look forward to another successful year of entertainment and fundraising. JLL provides technical production support at the event, which includes lighting and a special FX production for live music performances. JLL technicians also provide on-site assistance to ensure seamless execution. Funds raised directly benefit the charitable organisations supported by the rally, in part due to JLL providing their services at cost price. JLL says the partnership allows it to contribute to a truly meaningful cause. New Chair Announced for Youth Charity A charity which provides education, employability and well-being programmes to young people has appointed a new chair. Joanna Dyson will take up the position of South Oxfordshire Food and Education Alliance, SOFEA, from March the 1st. Following a national search last year in collaboration with Peridot Partners, Ms Dyson was selected to succeed the inaugural chair, Bernard Grenville-Jones, who served for a full time, a full term of nine years. Ms Dyson has experience as a food sector leader, charity chair, consultant and mentor with direct experience of the charity's work. She said, I am delighted to be invited to take up the role of chair of SOFEA and I look forward to joining fellow trustees as we work alongside CEO Richard Kennell and the talented and dedicated teams of Didcot and Milton Keynes continue the great work that is going on at both sites in this impressive and inspiring organisation. Having been a volunteer at Didcot, Ms Dyson is familiar with SOFEA's transformative impact which creates a supportive environment with strong values which enables young people to grow in confidence and unlock their talents and at the same time supporting local communities, feeding families and rescuing surplus food. She regarded it as a huge privilege to succeed Mr Grenville-Jones, praising his leadership and governance. She added, I look forward to working with him and the team to ensure a smooth transition and continued growth for the organisation. Ben Threadgold, Vice Chair of SOFEA, said our recruitment campaign attracted a very high calibre of applicants. Joe's passion, experience and commitment really shone through as the right person to take the baton from Bernard and lead us into an exciting new phase of SOFEA's development. The trustee board, together with the executive team, staff and volunteers, aims to lead the execution of the strategy. As SOFEA celebrates its 10th anniversary, the organisation is focusing on not letting anyone fall behind in society and continuing to support them to reach their full potential. Mr Threadgold added, With Joe as our new chair, we now move into a new era, working with our partners at Fair Share to continue using the convening power of food 
to ensure that no one is left behind. Youngsters are encouraged to boost confidence with kickboxing. The leader of an Oxfordshire kickboxing school for all ages is encouraging youngsters to take up the sport to boost their confidence and mental health. Carl Davis, who runs the Vale Kickboxing and Vale TKD Martial Arts School in Wantage, has reached out to parents to raise awareness for the benefit of kickboxing. He says they include instilling heightened confidence and stronger mindsets in students and offering the opportunity for participants to meet new people. Vale Kickboxing runs classes for people aged six and over with separate teenage and adult classes available. Mr Davis said, in a world that can be very demanding and challenging, it's very important that our children grow up with all the important life skills to tackle life and become the very best they can. The martial arts school currently has 14 England representatives, squad members and an England coach in their ranks. The club is Olympic standard, recognised via affiliation with the World Association Kickboxing Organisation, People can explore the Kickboxing School's website to find out more about joining in. Bookstore made regional finalist in Shop Awards. An Abingdon bookshop has been named as a regional finalist in a category at the British Book Awards for the seventh consecutive year. Mostly Books has been named as a Southeast Regional Finalist for the Independent Bookshop of the Year Award. The shop has been under the ownership of Sarah Dennis since 2017. She said, It's so fantastic that the team has been recognised for all their hard work. Running a high street business isn't easy at the moment, but the support we get from our customers and each other makes it all worthwhile. It's great news. Its sister store, Boysoy Books, earned recognition as a Southwest regional finalist. Regional winners will be revealed on March the 12th, with the national honours presented on May the 13th. Mostly Books on Sturt Street earned its nomination for its broad range of offerings, from an events programme to community outreach efforts. The store has fostered strong ties within the Oxfordshire educational community and initiated an in-shop youth ambassador scheme. It's also growing its online presence with a virtual book club, the Mostly Books Cozy Club and the Mostly Books Meets podcast. That's the last news items for this week. We thank all the local newspapers for the items we've used and thank our editor, technicians, readers and helpers for their time. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the newspaper. Goodbye and thank you for listening.